0: Hey guys, thanks so much for coming back and viewing another video of mine. I really appreciate you coming back and taking another look. Today we're going to be taking a look at a more modern Mafia member, which is super exciting because I had started to get into a groove of the same time period and events weren't really able to be explained because I had explained them in previous videos. So I'm super excited to tell you guys about this guy today because he's a lot more modern. He was around during all of your lifetime. So let's get started. Francesco Paolo Augusto, or Frank Cali, was born on March 26, 1965 in New York City. His parents, Augusto Cesar Cali and Agata Schimetta, were both from Sicily. His father ran a household goods store in Palermo and a video store in Bensonhurst in Brooklyn. His mom, like most Sicilian women, was a stay-at-home wife. Even though his parents don't have an official criminal history, his Father was involved in the pizza connection investigation, so they never got caught doing anything. But the whole family is all wrapped up in the mafia. Frank had a lot, a lot of rich family history in the mafia. His uncle was John Gambino and his great uncles Giovanni and Vito Bonventre. One of Frank's best friends when he was a kid was Jackie DiAmico. DiAmico was a lieutenant of John Gotti's. He ran a crew on 18th Avenue in Brooklyn. The first time that Frank Cali was mentioned in a police report was when the FBI reported to Italian authorities that Cali had been combined into the Gambino family. Even though he eventually made it to the leader of the Gambino family, Callie actually had very few arrests along the way. Most Mafia guys, they do a a huge amount of time in prison, so it's very weird that Callie got through the Mafia all the way up to a position of being the boss, and didn't really get in trouble with the law along the way. Callie was only convicted once, and he was convicted of extortion conspiracy, and he did 19 months in prison. That amount of time changes based on what you're reading and where you're hearing it from, 19 months... 17 months, 12 months, but he did a short stay. 19 months is not a long time when you think of the mafiosi that do 10, 15, 20 years, and then come out old men to a new mafia. So, 19 months... Seventeen months, whatever amount of months, it was a short amount of time. You would hear Gambino members say, "I never heard of Frankie ever having a fistfight, let alone killing anybody." Which obviously is how most mafia guys rise through the ranks. They they kill people. They you know run drugs, extortion. Blah. So so it's very strange to see a, a boss come up with nothing like that. Nothing like that. He he's great. Callie also ran several import export companies in Brooklyn. And that's including circus fruits wholesale in Fort Hamilton, Brooklyn. So Callie married a woman and her name was Rosaria Inzorello. Rosaria was the sister of Pietro Inzorello and a relative of Frank Inzorello. Pietro's a member of the Gambino family and Frank is a member of the Inzorello clan. So, Rosaria is all tied up in the Mafia, too. After John Gotti went to prison, he appointed his son, John A. Gotti, to lead the family. When he appointed his son to lead the family, he decided to leave. The son wanted nothing to do with it. He got caught. He was going to jail, and he wanted to plead guilty, to to plead out, and... Gotti was having none of it. His wife had to threaten him to let the son out of the family. But at the end of the day, the son got out of the family. So he went from a leader to literally not in the family at all. When he left, Peter Gotti took over the family. Peter Gotti was arrested and charged with racketeering, money laundering, extortion, and a plot to kill Sammy the Bull Gravano in 2004. So now you got his son completely out of the family. Peter Gotti, John Gotti's brother, is looking at a, de- a lot of time for this. So Callie's best friend Jackie Diamico, gets appointed into the position. And game changer, guys. Frank was officially inducted into the Gambino family in the late 1990s, so he, he was there his whole life. That There was no other path for this man. It was just, you know, his whole family's mafia... He went in at a super young age. That was it. It was Mafia. He was promoted to acting capo when D'Amico became acting boss. Um, so D'Amico becoming the boss really did a lot of good for Frank Cali. Cali was the one that oversaw the Gambino's interests in the annual Italian feast on 18th Avenue in Bensonhurst every year. I've actually been there, and it's amazing. If you ever want to get a feel for Italian living, go to the annual Italian feast. It's great. Me. He's known to be an associate to a bunch of members of the Inzarillo family. The Inzarillo family were exiled and sent to the United States. They had been plotting to return to Palermo, even though they had been exiled and booted by the Sicilian Mafia Commission. So it was it was looking grim. D'Amico, who was Gotti Jr.'s aide-de-camp, was a shy boss that stayed away from the spotlight and he stayed away from the media. He didn't follow in Gotti's footsteps. Members of the family said that he was crucial in rebuilding the family after John Gotti just... When John Gotti went down, half of the mafia in New York went down too. Sammy the Bull took down everyone. It wasn't just John Gotti. So the entire mafia fell apart. So Diamico taking over leadership was a crucial role in rebuilding the family back to what it was. And it's it's getting there. It's getting there. In 2008, the FBI arrested over 60 mafia members, both in the United States and Sicily, on charges that included murder extortion, racketeering. At the time, they mentioned Jackie Diamico as the acting boss, Joseph Jojo Carrozzo as the consigliere, Dominico the Greaseball Cefalu as the underboss, and Frank Cali as the acting capo and the bridge between the American and Sicilian mafias. These arrests came after an associate of Nicolas Carrozzo Joseph Valero, became an informant for the state attorney general's office. He recorded a boatload of conversation between all of the people that were arrested, so everybody that he recorded got arrested. Gotti Jr. was not arrested, so it seems like Gotti Jr. was telling the truth and he got out of the life, but everybody that he knew did get arrested. His previous driver, Jojo Corozo and his aide-de-camp, Diamico, and his brothers, Vincent, and nephew, J- Richard, were all charged with a plan to murder a Queen's bagel shop owner. This arrest from Valero all happened in 2008. And in this arrest, Charles Carneglia, also known as Charlie Chang, was arrested for five cold case murders, including the murder of Luis De Bono, in the parking garage of the World Trade Center on orders from John Gotti Sr. The indictment mentions modern day mafia members imposing taxes on construction work at the NASCAR racetrack in Staten Island and a cement plan in Jersey City. It also mentions illegal gambling and narcotics trafficking. Exactly what you would expect to see from a mafia arrest. You know, you see mafia guys arrested, what are we gonna see? We're gonna see narcotics trafficking. We're gonna see extortion. What do you expect? Again, this happened in 2008. So anybody that tells you that the mafia doesn't exist anymore, or it's not a powerful machine still, tell them they're wrong. They are wrong. You are wrong. The mafia does still exist. The mafia is just as big now as it was back then. You just don't think it exists because John Gotti's not in the newspaper every day flaunting it. And that's why he went to jail, and that's why Frank Cali didn't. In the indictment, it also talks about Frank Cali and Filippo Casamento, a Sicilian mobster, trying to build a bridge between the Gambinos and the Inzirillo crime family in Palermo. Italian authorities arrested 23 members of the Inzirillo family, And Callie was charged as part of the Gambino family as well as part of the Inzirillo family. So let's stop and talk for a minute about the Mafia Wars in Italy because none of this is going to make sense if I don't explain the background here. So the Mafia in Italy actually has the same name as in America. It's called the Cosa Nostra. Obviously, the American Mafia copied the Italian Mafia. They existed first. The first Mafia War in Palermo started in 1962. The groups in Italy, they're not called families. Like here, we have the Gambino family, the Bonanno family. In Italy, they're called clans. So when I say clan, it's the same thing as saying family in America. So if I say clan, you know I'm talking about Italy. There was a drug shipment to the United States... That apparently took the resources of many different bosses and many different clans. Cesar Manzella, a boss of one of the clans, organized the shipment. Members from the Gracos and the La Barbera's clans helped organize, and Calcedonio di Pisa, another mafia boss, handled the heroin. However, when the shipment was actually made to America, the buyers who are the American Cosa Nostra, the Gambino family, the, you know, all the families here, they said, no, mm-mm-mm, <laughs> there is heroin missing. There is not what we purchased, and we are not paying the whole amount because this is not the amount that we agreed on. So they pay a much lower number to DePisa. De Pisa. claimed that the Americans were defrauding him, but a lot of high-ranking members of the La Barberas accused DePisa of embezzling the missing heroine. The Sicilian Mafia Commission sided with Di Pisa and the Lar Barberas were outraged. They were mad. They murdered Di Pisa and Manzella and that triggered the first Mafia War in Italy. So, of course, it came from the Americans. So, who knows? Who knows what actually happened, but this this situation started the first war, the first Mafia War in Italy. The war turned really bloody, and a lot of civilians and law enforcement agents were hurt and killed in these battles. It led to public outrage and the investigation, and the investigation took down almost 2,000 Mafia members. This huge crackdown, as well as the public's outrage at any members of the clan, led to the Sicilian Mafia Commission's Dissolution. They, what are they gonna do? They have to disappear. Everything is turning against them. It actually didn't reform until 1969. So after the First War, the Sicilian Mafia Commission is dissolved. All the clan's activity is severely, severely impeded. And the legal expenses from nearly every mafia member being arrested, it made almost every member of the clan live in poverty which is something that Mafia members are not used to. This is, this is a, a shock to them. The clans had the hardest years of their existence in the 50s and 60s, and this is all because of the First War. But in the 70s, things started to look up. The clans started smuggling cigarettes into Naples when the Sicilians and Neapolitan crime bosses negotiated a joint monopoly, meaning that they were the only source for smuggled cigarettes into Naples. Now, I can't find any information online as to why cigarettes were being smuggled to Naples. Were they illegal? were they just really, really expensive in Naples? And, you know, they're smuggling cheaper cigarettes? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But cigarettes were smuggled. We know that. In Marseille, a region in France on the coast of the Gulf of Lyon, French authorities shut down heroin refineries operated by Corsican gangsters, a set of criminal groups. It's part of the the French mob, originating from Corsica. So now their refineries are shut down and morphine traffickers are looking for another place to get the drugs. In 1975, the Italian Costa Nostra saw that problem, so what they did was they set up heroin refineries all around Sicily. There was a large number of Sicilian mafia guys that moved to the U.S., to personally control distribution networks in the U.S. So there was a lot going back and forth. This actually didn't work out very well for the American Mafia because, you know, the Italian guys come over and they're controlling the market. That's a market that the Americans make money in. By 1982, the Sicilian Mafia that had moved to America controlled about 80% of the heroin trade in Northeastern United States which is a huge hit to the American guys that had been controlling the market. Now it's all going to them. At the time, a lot of heroin was being distributed in the US through pizzerias that the mafia owned. The revenue was passed off as restaurant profits and this is where the pizza connection comes from. So it was a big scandal at the time. It was a big investigation that actually was made public. A lot of people knew about it and it was all because of this where, you know, they were selling the heroin out of the Mafia-owned pizzerias. So everything's going great. There's a lot of heroin to go around, a lot of profit to go around, everything's fine. But the Second Mafia War is about to start. So in the early 70s, after a leader of one of the clans, the Corleonesi, which originated from the town of Corleone, and his name was Luciano Leggio. He was also a member of the Sicilian Mafia Commission, and he created a coalition of mafia clans. They were known as the Corleonisi, but he wanted to dominate the Cosa and the narcotics trade, so pretty much he grouped other clans into his clan, and and it was just a big group of different clans. Leggio was sentenced to jail in 1974, so he handed control over to Salvatore Rina. Rina was a deputy of his at the time. The coalition, the Corleonesi, they bribed clans in Palermo who were financially struggling, and they said, hey, we'll give you some money if you come join us. So they did, and this became one big unstoppable force to give you an idea of the amount of power that the corleonesi had they had a member of the sicilian commission gaetano badalamente kicked out of the commission by exaggerating charges of hiding drug revenue so you know it it was a tiny little thing like yes he did do something wrong but they blew it up to the point that they got rid of a member of the sicilian commission the commission is a huge deal. They're they're the the top of the top, the the biggest guys in the mafia. They also murdered a rival member of the commission, Stefano Bontade, and this murder is what kicked off the second mafia war. And it's also known as the Great Mafia War. Hundreds of enemy mafias and their relatives were murdered, and sometimes by traitors in their own clan. Everything was turned upside down. They manipulated the mafias' rules and eliminated rivals, and that led to the Corleonesi completely dominating the commission. And Rina, the boss of the Corleonisi, became the boss of bosses. Each clan has a boss. The boss of bosses is the guy that all the bosses report to. So soon, the war explodes. Like, every every war, it, it, it expands. The, the war within the clans expanded real quick, and the Corleonesi waged a campaign to murder journalists, officials, politicians, prosecutors, and policemen, Anybody that dared to cross them, anybody that looked sideways at them, was getting murdered. There were no rules, no laws, anybody could die. The war went all the way into the early 90s, and it led to thousands of murders, which is something that we can't even imagine here in America. There's never been anything like that, ever. After a long time of the war waging, a group called the Pentini, or Mafia Turncoats, they emerged and they collaborated with authorities and pretty much took down the Corleonisi. And they did this because they had lost so many family and friends, and everybody was dying, and they were sick of it. By the end of it, the Corleonisi were the clear winners. They they won the war. But in 1992, Rina was given two life sentences in absentia, which means that he wasn't present for the trial because he was on the run. The appeal process, which usually led to mafiosi that had been previously convicted being overturned was Rena's last hope. And he was pretty confident about this, because it always went the same way for every mafia guy. When the Supreme Court of Cessation upheld the convictions, Rina ordered the assassination of Salvatore Lima and Giovanni Falcone, two anti-mafia judges. Can you imagine in America a mafia member being charged and then ordering the killing of the judge that found him guilty? I can't even imagine that. So this is crazy stuff going on over in Italy. The public was outraged. They created sheets that commemorated the murdered judges and it stated, You did not kill them. Their ideas walk on our legs. The American Mafia had a long history of relations with the Anzarello family, which was a rival of the Corleonesi, and the Inzerillos had been chased out of Palermo by the Corleonesi. But that didn't stop John Gotti Sr. Gotti Sr. formed bonds with the Corleonesi. He sent explosive experts over to the family in Sicily to help plan the bombings that killed Falcone, as well as multiple other homicides ordered by the Corleonesi. The information only came out in May 2019, so it left... A lot of people scratching their heads at the unlikely alliance, you didn't expect to see it at all. Reno was arrested in 1993 after being on the run for 23 years. Can you imagine being on the run from the government for 23 years? Ugh. After that, the Corleonese ordered bombings on tourist spots on the Italian mainland and that led to 10 people dying and 93 people being injured. None of them were involved in the Mafia. Reno was given 26 life sentences, and served his entire sentence in solitary confinement. Historically, the Inzirillo clan was the clan in Italy that was most closely aligned with the American Mafia, so when the Inzirillo family was forced to flee Sicily in the early 1980s to not get killed by the Corleonesi, they came to America. Since Frank Cali was a member of both the American and Italian Cosa Nostra, the Inzirillos being outcast from Palermo was something that had a pretty big effect on Cali. He also acted as a liaison, for the Inzurillo mafiosi. Whenever a Sicilian Mafia member would travel to New York for business, he was the contact. Eventually, Mafia members started making the trek to America to visit Cali and update him on Sicilian affairs. Frank, along with the old Palermo boss Filippo Casamento, supported the return of the Inzorillos to Palermo. Both Frank and his wife, Rosaria, were extremely embedded in the Sicilian Mafia with very, very, very close ties and personal interests. When the were run out of Sicily Instead of going somewhere on the Italian or European mainland, they came to America to seek refuge within the American Mafia. One of Frank Cali's largest undertakings was his initiative to help the Inzerillos, who have been in America in exile since the 80s, back to Sicily. He was eventually successful. In the early 2000s, the Inzerillos went back to Italy. Francesco Inzerillo, Cali's wife's relative, he was allowed to return to Sicily by Mafia leaders. The Anzirillos have officially returned to Palermo after Reno was taken down, so Callie got her done. But now here comes another wave of arrests. The Italian police force arrested 19 members of the Sicilian Mafia in Italy, and mixed in with those 19 mafiosi was several members from the Gambino family, including a local mayor, Salvatore Gambino. Thomas Gambino, Joseph Gambino's son, was arrested in America with Tommaso and Thrillo. Sicilian mobster Gianni Nietzsche is quoted as telling the boss of his clan, Antonio Rotolo, that Frank Calley is our friend and he is everything over there, meaning in America. Nietzsche was one of Calley's men of honor and he made frequent trips between Palermo and America for drug trafficking. Eventually, Nietzsche made his long-term retirement in Daytona Beach, Florida, and was known to employ local high school students as drug runners. What a great guy. Joseph Valero was the owner of a trucking and contracting company called Andrew's Trucking in Staten Island. His company had been contracted to handle the building of a NASCAR speedway on Staten Island. He became involved with the mafia when he went to prison. Valero shared a cell with Nicholas Little Nick Carozo, a Gambino family mobster. The two became really close, and soon they were conducting business together. Valero began sending payments to Carozo and his brother Joseph Jojo Carrozzo, and in return, his company quickly became one of the city's leading construction truckers, pulling dirt from the city's excavation sites. Carrozzo now brings Valero into the fold, and he introduces him to other mafia members. He introduces him to a man named Joseph Spinato and they went on to co-own several businesses on Staten Island. So both parties are greatly benefiting from this arrangement. The Gambinos are beginning to dominate the construction business in Staten Island and Valero was so wealthy that he owned three 40-foot yachts. Three! They were named No Limits, Cat in the Act, and All Fired Up. Three! In 2004, Valero was arrested with two kilograms of cocaine and charged with heading a large-scale narcotics trafficking operation on Staten Island. Instead of serving the life sentence that he was up against, he made a decision to become a government informant. Although he was an informant, the family obviously doesn't know. By 2008, Valero had risen to be one of Nick Carozzo's most trusted aides, and Carozzo planned to propose Valero for induction into the family as a made man. That's a big, big step. If you're a made man, you're just, you're different. (laughs) You're above them all. So the fact that they almost made Valero a made man, all the while he's an informant and going back to the government with tapes and just boatloads, boatloads of tapes, boatloads of information, never trust no one. Now, if you read literature on what led to this turn of events, You'll learn that in the early 2003, Frank Cali and Leonard Lenny DiMaria, a fellow Gambino captain, began extorting mob taxes from Valero. But this extortion seems to line up with Valero becoming involved in the NASCAR speedway. Maybe they extorted money from him, but Valero didn't walk away with nothing. His company was wildly successful. And profits were flowing to make him extremely wealthy from the business that the mafia helped him open, helped him build, gave him jobs, job opportunities, resources, everything. The mafia gave that to him. Like any other business relationship, those things are not free. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to pay. So they're calling it mob taxes, but really when he's kicking up a percentage of his earned income to the Gambinos, a percentage of the earned income that the Gambinos... facilitated in him earning to the boss, D'Amico, and Corozo. Valero is no victim, and the tens of thousands of dollars that he was forced to pay as a mob tax extortion, it was just a business relationship. He entered into it, he reaped the benefits of it, He never complained, but guess what, because you got caught with a little cocaine and you didn't want to serve your time, it was extortion. Anyways, this all comes to a head four years later, when all the tips and the recordings of the mafia business, the information, everything is rounded up, and used to press charges on 62 New York City Mafia members. Callie was charged on June 4th, 2006, and he pled guilty to conspiring to extort money from Valero. Arrests were made. Part of this indictment was intended to shut down Operation Old Bridge, which aimed to terminate the drug trafficking ring that went from Palermo to America. It was called the Old Bridge because there had always been a drug trafficking ring. There had always been drug trafficking between the two countries and this indictment wanted to shut that down. Operation Old Bridge indicted mafia members including Jackie D'Amico, Nicholas Carrozzo, Charles Carneglia, Richard G. Gotti, Vincent Gotti, and Joseph Carrozzo. Indictments included murder, drug trafficking, robbery, and extortion. Again, exact cookie cutter mafia. The case which is now referred to as the United States of America versus Agate, ETL, which I don't know what Agate is, but whatever. It was aimed at breaking up growing alliances between the Gambinos and the Sicilian Mafia, which Cali had been working hard to forge. So the FBI made this move because they were getting tips that the Indorillos had returned to Palermo, which means that the closest alliance that the American Mafia has in Italy is now back in Italy. They didn't have to worry about that when they were in America, but now they're in Italy and now it's international drug trafficking. Even though Cali only ended up pleading guilty to conspiring to extort money from Valero, it makes me so mad! The indictment initially charged him with racketeering, extortion, and conspiracy along with Jackie D'Amico and DiMaria. Prosecutors claimed that Cali acted as the Gambino's ambassador to the Sicilian mobsters and as a liaison between Diamico and the Sicilian connections to the Inserillo family. Cali spent spent 10 months in prison, and then he was released on probation. Obviously, the fact that he had never been arrested before played a huge role in getting him that sweet deal. He had never been arrested, he had never done time. This was the first offense, and they tend to go a little lighter on first offenses. His probation stipulated that he wasn't allowed to interact with John Gambino, who was Callie's uncle and he had been promoted in 2009 to a position of power within the Gambino family, he eventually would go on to be the boss of the family. The first time that there was ever a report that Callie himself took position of power within the family came in 2012, when a New York crime reporter claimed that Callie had taken the position of underboss. The journalist, Jerry Capici, identified Domenico Cefalu as the current boss of the family. Domenico Cefalu is a mafioso born in Palermo. He belonged to the Inzirillo family that Cali had belonged to. He had been the underboss since 2005 under D'Amico. Cefalu was inducted as a made man by John Gotti himself. John Gotti was the acting boss of the Gambino family in 1990. He was a member of the Sicilian Zip crew. They operated in Queens and they were headed by... Pascal Conte. He ended up doing a lot of time and this is bizarre to me. I don't really understand how this man ended up doing. The amount of time that he did, it is crazy. I thought that you could plead the fifth with no consequences. I go to court and I refuse to testify. I plead the fifth. And that was a constitutional right. But this dude 18 months for civil contempt in 92 after refusing to testify for one trial, and then they called him in to do another trial, and he again refused, and was sentenced to an additional 33 months in prison for pleading the fifth. It's, it's a, it's in the constitution. I don't understand. Cephalou was arrested during the Operation Oldbridge indictment and he pled guilty for his involvement in the extortion of Valero along with Frank Cali. He took over as the boss of the family after Peter Gotti had gotten life in 2002. In 2015 Frank Cali took over as the boss of the family when Cefalu stepped down so nothing bad had happened Cefalu just didn't want to be the boss anymore so he stepped down and Frank Cali took the position of acting boss. Once he was the boss of the family he obviously got the Zips a lot more involved in the family because he's involved in both families. Although that the feds claim that Operation Old Bridge broke the trade routes for drug trafficking between America and Italy, there's still a large amount of drugs being shipped, so I don't know what trade route they shut down. Cali increased the mafia's drug-running business, and was vamping up heroin in the oxycotton business. He would also go to Italy for recruits. Regularly, foot soldiers from Italy came to New York to work for the Gambino family, still holding a position in the Inzerillo clan as Cali did, where he existed in both worlds. Cali was nothing like God. Gotti was flashy, he had no issues speaking to reporters, he wanted to be a household name. Callie was not about that life. Callie was NOT going down. He was NOT going to jail, it was just NOT going to happen. So he didn't speak. He was the type that operated just completely in secret. Reporters never would have known about his status as the boss of the family if the Italian mafiosi hadn't been secretly taped talking about it. He didn't speak on the phone. He made sure to discuss any business, face-to-face meetings. Many officials referred to him as a ghost and the polar opposite of John Gotti, but he was leading the same family. On March 13, 2019, at around 9.20 p.m., A blue pickup truck hit Callie's Escalade in the driveway of his house, and Callie went to confront the driver. The two had an argument, and the driver pulled out a gun and shot off 12 shots aimed for Callie. He attempted to use his vehicle as a shield, but he was struck 10 times. The FBI scrambled to put the pieces together here. They had no idea what was going on. Nobody heard any murmurings in the past about a potential hit on Cali. When Castellano had been taken down, everybody knew it was coming. The FBI had a feeling that he was going to be killed. Same thing with Anastasia when he was killed in the barbershop. Everybody heard about it beforehand. They knew about the issues that were going on. There was nothing with Cali. Nobody knew if it was a power struggle from within, you know, someone that wanted to be the boss killed him so that they could be the boss, or if it was a rival family. No one knew anything. The media immediately distributed the story to America and around the world. The first mafia boss murder since 1985, during a time when authorities had been telling people that the mafia doesn't even exist anymore. It is Front page news. Anytime a development is made in this case. People in the family had kind of complained about Callie in the past. They had called him... Jackie's guy, and they complained about his quick ascension to captain. But that had been years ago. Callie had been acting boss since 2015 at least, so a minimum of four years ago, and the soldiers heard complaining Jackie made him a skipper, some snot-nosed 30-year-old kid. But again, it had to be a really long time ago, it couldn't, it couldn't have anything to do with this murder. Actually, the mafia underworld had actually been pretty violent lately. A Bonanno family associate was gunned down in a drive-by at McDonald's in the Bronx in October of 2018. Ever since the era of Sammy the Bull taking down all the big mafia members, most average citizens in New York have been told that the mafia doesn't exist anymore. So developments like a drive-by are very surprising. But that was Sylvester Zatola, and his murder was actually ordered by his son, Anthony Zatola, who had hired blood gang members to murder his father. Which was a whole mess, if you read up on that. They tried, like, six times and failed before they finally got it. It's crazy to hear. They had actually attacked him once before and he, like, fought them off ungrateful children. It's always the kids. Always the kids. Obviously Callie's status as the boss of the Gambino family. Everybody knew it was mafia related. The only questions they're asking is like was this an inside job? Was this an outside? So there was no, it, it was, it had to be mafia related. But after further investigation, it turns out it wasn't related to the mafia at all. Anthony Camello, a 24 year old New Jersey man, shot Cali outside of his home because he's a whack job. Camello initially planned to place Cali under citizen's arrest. For some reason, he was under the impression that Cali was a ruling member of the Deep State, a worldwide criminal cabal bent on the destruction of American values and the American way of life. He planned to place him under citizen's arrest, and deliver him to the military. But Callie obviously went after him when he attempted to attack him, and he started shooting. Camelo was formally charged with murder and criminal weapons possession, but was found unfit to stand trial. When he entered the courtroom, he showed off the writing on his hands. One hand said MAGA, and the other was a symbol for QAnon, a conspiratorial fringe right-wing political group. So the dude's nuts. Crazy. His lawyer blames Trump. He says that the extreme right-wing conspiracy websites, as well as hate speech by people in power, such as Trump, convinced this dude that this is what he had to do. He had to place Kelly under citizen's arrest and bring him to the military. He was under the impression that Trump was fully gonna pardon him. Trump this was gonna be a great favor to Trump and he's not gonna do jail time because Trump's gonna pardon him it's okay. Camillo brought handcuffs with him to arrest Cali. He had previously tried to arrest New York Mayor Bill de Blasio and US Representative Maxine Waters and Adam Schiff to Democrats from California. He is now being held in segregation because any people in prison with mafia ties are going to kill him but the trial is still on Going. There's been no conclusion to the case as of yet. It's only been two, three years. And sometimes court cases take longer than that, especially when somebody is found unfit to stand trial. So we'll see a resolution one day, but as of now it's still open. A new soldier, Lorenzo Lore Menino, took over as the boss of the Gambino family. Manino is 60 years old and he was the underboss to Cali. He had been in the family forever. Menino is his last name, you hear that a lot, that last name. He was part of the crew that got ratted out by Gravano. He was a hitman, and part of a crew that killed Francesco Oliveri. Even though Gravano was the one that planned the hit, he executed the hit, he still ratted out Menino, and Menino did 10 years, but he was released in 04, so... Happy ending. So that's the legendary rule and bizarre end of Frank Cali. Thanks so much if you stuck in here and, you know, finished the video with me. If you want to see more videos, go ahead and like and follow. And you can see all the videos that I've already posted and any that are coming up. So go ahead, like, follow, and drop a comment on this if you are feeling generous. Anyways, see you next time.